0: Section 43 of The Rainbow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Rainbow by D. H. Lawrence. Chapter 13, Part 7. Her real individual self drew together and became more coherent during these two years of teaching, during the struggle against the odds of class teaching. It was always a prison to her the school. But it was a prison where her wild, chaotic soul became hard and independent. When she was well enough, and not tired, then she did not hate the teaching. She enjoyed getting into the swing of work of a morning, putting forth all her strength, making the thing go. It was for her a strenuous form of exercise. And her soul was left to rest. It had the time of torpor in which to gather itself together in strength again. But the teaching hours were too long, the tasks too heavy, and the disciplinary condition of the school too unnatural for her. She was worn very thin and quivering. She came to school in the morning, seeing the hawthorn flowers wet, the little rosy grains swimming in a bowl of dew. The larks quivered their song up into the new sunshine, and the country was so glad. It was a violation to plunge into the dust and grayness of the town. So that she stood before her class, unwilling to give herself up to the activity of teaching, to turn her energy, that longed for the country and for joy of early summer, into the dominating of fifty children and the transferring to them some morsels of arithmetic. There was a little absentness about her. She could not force herself into forgetfulness. A jar of buttercups and fool's parsley in the window-bottom kept her away in the meadows where in the lush grass the moon-daisies were half-submerged, and a spray of pink-ragged robin. Yet before her were faces of fifty children. They were almost like big daisies in the dimness of the grass. A brightness was on her face, a little unreality in her teaching. She could not quite see her children. She was struggling between two worlds, her own world of young summer and flowers, and this other world of work, and the glimmer of her own sunlight was between her and her class. Then the morning passed with a strange far-awayness and quietness. Dinner-time came, when she and Maggie ate joyously, with all the windows open. And they went out into St. Philip's churchyard, where was a shadowy corner under the red hawthorn trees. And there they talked and read Shelley, or Browning, or some work about Woman and Labor. And when she went back to school, Ursula lived still in the shadowy corner of the graveyard, where pink red petals lay scattered from the hawthorn tree, like myriad tiny shells on a beach. And a church bell sometimes rang sonorously, and sometimes a bird called out, whilst Maggie's voice went on low and sweet. These days she was happy in her soul. Oh, she was so happy that she wished she could take her joy and scatter it in armfuls broadcast. She made her children happy too, with a little tingling of delight. But to her, the children were not a school class this afternoon. They were flowers, birds, little bright animals, children, anything. They only were not standard five. She felt no responsibility for them. It was for once a game, this teaching. And if they got their sums wrong, what matter? Then she would take a pleasant bit of reading and instead of history with dates, she would tell a lovely tale. And for grammar, they could have a bit of written analysis that was not difficult, because they had done it before. She shall be sportive as a fawn, but wild with glee across the lawn or up the mountain springs. She wrote that from memory, because it pleased her. So the golden afternoon passed away, and she went home happy. She had finished her day of school, and was free to plunge into the glowing evening of Cossethay, And she loved walking home. But it had not been school. It had been playing at school beneath red hawthorn-blossom. She could not go on like this. The quarterly examination was coming, and her class was not ready. It irritated her that she must drag herself away from her happy self. And exert herself with all her strength to force, to compel this heavy class of children to work hard at arithmetic. They did not want to work, she did not want to compel them, and yet some second conscience gnawed at her, telling her the work was not properly done. It irritated her almost to madness, and she let loose all the irritation in the class. Then followed a day of battle, and hate, and violence, when she went home raw, feeling the golden evening taken away from her, herself incarcerated in some dark, heavy place, and chained there with a consciousness of having done badly at work. What good was it that it was summer, that right till evening, when the corn corncrakes called, the larks would mount up into the light, to sing once more before nightfall? What good was it all, when she was out of tune, when she must only remember the burden and shame of school that day? and still she hated school. Still she cried. She did not believe in it. Why should the children learn, and why should she teach them? It was all so much milling the wind. What folly was it that made life into this, the fulfilling of some stupid, factitious duty? It was all so made up, so unnatural. The school, the sums, the grammar, the quarterly examinations, the registers— It was all a barren nothing why should she give her allegiance to this world and let it so dominate her that her own world of warm sun and growing sap filled life was turned into nothing she was not going to do it she was not going to be a prisoner in the dry tyrannical man world she was not going to care about it what did it matter if her class did ever so badly in the quarterly examination let it what did it matter Nevertheless, when the time came, and the report on her class was bad, she was miserable, and the joy of the summer was taken away from her. She was shut up in gloom. She could not really escape from this world of system and work, out into her fields where she was happy. She must have her place in the working world, be a recognized member with full rights there. It was more important to her than fields and sun and poetry, at this time. But she was only the more its enemy. It was a very difficult thing, she thought, during the long hours of intermission in the summer holidays, to be herself, her happy self that enjoyed so much to lie in the sun, to play and swim and be content, and also to be a schoolteacher getting results out of a class of children. She dreamed fondly of the time when she need not be a teacher any more. But vaguely she knew that responsibility had taken place in her forever and as yet her prime business was to work. The autumn passed away, the winter was at hand. Ursula became more and more an inhabitant of the world of work, and of what is called life. She could not see her future, but a little way off was college, and to the thought of this she clung fixedly. She would go to college, and get her two or three years' training, free of cost. Already she had applied and had her place appointed for the coming year. So she continued to study for her degree. She would take French, Latin, English, Mathematics, and Botany. She went to classes in Ilkeston. she studied at evening, for there was this world to conquer, this knowledge to acquire, this qualification to attain. And she worked with intensity, because of a want inside her that drove her on. Almost everything was subordinated now to this one desire to take her place in the world. What kind of place it was to be, she did not ask herself. The blind desire drove her on. She must take her place. She knew she would never be much of a success as an elementary school teacher, but neither had she failed. She hated it, but she had managed it. Maggie had left St. Philip's School and had found a more congenial post, the two girls remained friends. They met at evening classes. They studied, and somehow encouraged a firm hope each in the other. They did not know whither they were making, nor what they ultimately wanted, but they knew they wanted now to learn, to know, and to do. They talked of love and marriage, and the position of woman in marriage. Maggie said that love was the flower of life, and blossomed unexpectedly and without law and must be plucked where it was found, and enjoyed for the brief hour of its duration. To Ursula this was unsatisfactory. She thought she still loved Anton Skrebensky. But she did not forgive him that he had not been strong enough to acknowledge her. He had denied her. How then could she love him? How then was love so absolute? She did not believe it. She believed that love was a way, a means. Not an end in itself, as Maggie seemed to think. And always the way of love would be found. But whither did it lead? I believe there are many men in the world one might love. There is not only one man, said Ursula. She was thinking of Skrebensky. Her heart was hollow with the knowledge of Winifred Inger. But you must distinguish between love and passion, said Maggie, adding, with a touch of contempt, "'Men will easily have a passion for you, but they won't love you.' "'Yes,' said Ursula, vehemently, the look of suffering, almost of fanaticism, on her face. "'Passion is only part of love, and it seems so much because it can't last. That is why passion is never happy. She was staunch for joy, for happiness, and permanency, in contrast with Maggie, who was for sadness, and the inevitable passing away of things.' Ursula suffered bitterly at the hands of life. Maggie was always single, always withheld, so she went in a heavy brooding sadness that was almost meat to her. In Ursula's last winter at St. Philip's, the friendship of the two girls came to a climax. It was during this winter that Ursula suffered and enjoyed most keenly Maggie's fundamental sadness of enclosedness. Maggie enjoyed and suffered Ursula's struggles against the confines of her life. And then the two girls began to drift apart as Ursula broke from that form of life wherein Maggie must remain enclosed. End of section forty three. Recording by Scarbo.